Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. You wouldn't know it to look at me right now, but many years ago, I was into martial arts. When I was a little kid, uh, a friend of mine took me with him to a Taekwondo class, and I'll never forget it, the instructor was wearing combat boots. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I hope I don't get kicked, because he was taller than I am now. He was a big guy. And then the Christian school that I attended, a teacher then started coming every once in a while for gym class to do exercises with us, and. And, and, and forms and things like that. So when I was in my early 20s, a dojo opened close to my apartment. So I signed up and I started taking classes. And the day came for uh, my testing to get a higher belt. So I had practiced my forms. I had had some one-on-one -on -one training with some of the older, more experienced students. And as I was going through the forms, I started to get frustrated with myself. My kicks weren't as high as they could have been. Um, and the teacher, he was old school. He was all about power and speed, power and speed. And my kicks didn't just seem to be as powerful as others or as fast as others. And I became increasingly frustrated, but I finished up and I made the jump up to a higher belt, yay me. So as I sat down, I remarked about how bad it was. And one of the other higher ranked students, they said to me, you did good. It's not going to be perfect all the time. And that helped. In that moment, I realized that not being perfect didn't mean that my effort up to that point was in vain. But what I also realized is that it also didn't mean that I shouldn't put any effort in at all. All this came flooding back into my mind when I read Jesus's words here in today's heart saying, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. So as we continue on through the hard sayings of Jesus, we're, we're going to be finishing up uh, in November, but this one is particularly kind of difficult to do. Be perfect? Really? That seems really impossible. It, it can make us throw up our hands in the air, right, in consternation, as it, cause, it calls us to what looks like a completely unreachable standard. Be perfect. And this has caused so much confusion for some Christians that they've wound up taking all of Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, I think through uh, 7, the entire Sermon on the Mount, right, to be something that's only meant for the, the, the Jews of that time, but not for Christians, right? This, like many other rationales we've heard for other sayings, is, is nonsense. And the scholar named Hayes notes that this portion of Scripture, part of the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus disclosing to his disciples, which is us, because we are his disciples now following him, the life in the kingdom of God that they are called to. And he also noted that this is contrary to popular teaching, that these sayings are intended to help us recognize our need for grace, that they are meant for us to actually put them into practice, though, is probably more helpful for us, right? We'll get a little bit into that uh, a little bit later. So how are we to understand this hard saying? Let's dig in a little bit. So in the first verse, 
It carries on from what we looked at a few weeks ago in Jesus' words to turn the other cheek, right? So we start off here in 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and praise for those who persecute you. So a few weeks ago, we talked about which a couple, just a couple of verses before this about turning the other cheek. In other words, not responding with violence when acted upon by violence. And when we are struck, our immediate response is to strike back, right? Like the umpire, when Luke blows up the Death Star, they don't just take it lying down, they strike back, right? That's our natural response, our natural inclination to repay harm with harm. But Jesus continues on and says something so spectacularly contrary to the worldview, they may have thought he was kidding. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. So you might be thinking to yourself, who are my enemies? Sort of like, you know, the who is my neighbor question. And the answer is obvious. The one who strikes you or the one who compels you to carry their burdens or the one who persecutes you, those are your enemies. Jesus says in response to the power of persecution brought on by your enemies, including physical violence, to not retaliate and to pray for them. Jesus doesn't just say stuff like this, though, right? We kind of think, well, Jesus tells us to do a bunch of really hard things. Jesus actually lives this. He actually models this for us, right? On the cross, when he could have called forth legions of angels to save him, what does he do? He doesn't, and he willfully undergoes suffering for us. And while they're nailing him to the cross, the very act of fastening him to the wood with the nails, does he say, a curse upon you, and a curse upon you, and a curse upon all of your families, as far back as I can count? Curses and curses and curses upon all of them. No, what does he say? He prays as they're in the process of murdering him. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Why? Why should we do any of that? Because, brothers and sisters, God is good and God is love. Jesus says that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He then says it's no credit to you if you love the people who love you. That's easy. When I get home from the office and Isaac yells, Dada, and he runs across the house from the run room all the way over to the front door where I'm at, and he runs into my arms, it's easy for me to pick him up and give him hugs and give him little kisses and shower with him, him with love because he's my son. It's easy for me to go and hold my wife and to give her a kiss or to annoy her by dancing around her when she's trying to make dinner. Why? Because I love her. It's a different thing entirely for me to love the person who publicly said bad things about my father for something he had zero control over. It's a different thing entirely to try and love the person who said some not nice things about me on the internets because of the denomination of our church. It's no credit to me to love my family because you know what? Even our worst enemies love their families and their families love them. I was listening to a, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot, usually while driving, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. And uh, the other day, there was a guest who was a combat veteran who received the Medal of Honor. And he was telling a particularly harrowing story about how he was fighting for his life. Some of his 
people came under fire, some had been killed, so he went in to, to rescue them, and he did. But as he was trying to get to one, somebody came out and attacked him, and it was a particularly gruesome fight. But one of the things I remember him saying as he was retelling this is that as he's fighting for his life, as he looks into the eyes of the person that he's about to destroy, he had the realization that his enemy probably, and he said this keeps him up at night to this day, that this enemy of his that he was fighting to the death with has his own family most likely. Maybe he's married, maybe he's not married, but he has people who love them, love him. And there's probably people that he loves. And that family is probably going to miss him. And that's stuck with him and it's helped him humanize his opponent. So when we get to be perfect, many of us see this as an impossibility because they're looking at this saying from a different perspective. We need to tie in, I think, be perfect with the call to love, to love our enemies. So many Christians look at this be perfect through the lens of what's called works righteousness. In other words, works that make us right before God, which we all know don't, right? Works don't justify us or make us right before God. A very well-known pastor, though, when preaching this verse, he said, they're supposed to say, I can't be perfect. And then he, Jesus, says, right, you fall short of perfection and need a savior. He and many others are taking this to mean morally perfect. But that's not what this is about. Jesus isn't saying be morally perfect. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, those who do what he said will be like a house built on the rock. And he contrasts that with a house that's built on the sand. And at the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples in my name by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to what? To do all of the things that I have commanded. There is a clear expectation for us to do, to obey what Jesus has commanded us to do. So part of the problem here with verses like these is that there has become an association with a clear command to do these things with the saving acts of God justifying us. So there is a reasonable expectation on Jesus' part that these sayings are normative for the Christian life and to be followed. So in that light, be perfect, scholars say it comes from the Greek word teleos. And this word translated doesn't necessarily mean moral perfection. It can mean, and it does mean particularly in this context, fully developed. Wholeness, maybe. I mean, this, this falls a little short, maybe maturity, fully developed. A New Testament theologian named Hayes, he's really helpful here defining it. He writes, the point is that the community of Jesus' disciples is summoned to the task of showing forth the character of God in the world. And this is on display fully in the call to love one's enemies. So Jesus' point here is that following him carries with it the expectation to show the love of God, not only to those to whom we love, but to those whom we do not like. Indeed, the ones who hate us the most. So why? Why? This makes no sense. Loving our enemies sounds like complete nonsense to those who are not Christian. Loving our enemies sounds like weakness. The very, there's a journalist and a very combative atheist, but he was a brilliant writer named Christopher Hitchens. He once said, you go and love them, your enemies, if you want. 
Don't love them on my behalf. I'll get on with killing them, destroying them, erasing them, and you can love them. But the idea that you ought to love them is not a moral idea at all. It is a wicked idea, right? So this call to love our enemies makes no sense to the world, right? This idea is nonsense to the world, and it's seen by many as a weakness and even as a moral evil. So why should we do it, apart from Jesus' clear instruction to do so? Part of the reason why we should love our enemies, apart from Christ's command and his own example, is that loving our enemies, brothers and sisters, humanizes them. One of the ways we justify our hatred of a person or group is by using extreme language. And this use of extreme language is meant to dehumanize because it's easy to fight against someone or show anger towards our enemy if we can cast them in particular terms. If we remove any connection we may have to them, we can then justify our hatred. So I'll give you an example, two examples, right? From the left and from the right in our modern political day and age. So for the last 25 years or so, right-wing talk radio and now media sources have cast their opponents as people who have a mental disorder. I've seen the stickers and I've seen the t-shirts. Liberals have a mental disorder. And then on the other side, from the left, I've seen uh, the, the media painting with broad strokes, casting as those who are not on board with progressive agendas by calling everybody who doesn't agree with them alt-right, casting everybody as Nazis and fascists. So here we are, a society completely unable to tolerate any sort of disagreement and the inability to have any meaningful discussion and no ability to compromise legislatively. We've lobbed bombs at each other for so long, we don't see each other as Americans and fellow citizens. Just a little example about from both sides. So you can't leave here saying, you favor one over the other. I, okay, I'm clearly giving you both. I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. I'm saying here's an example from both. That's not good. The second reason why is that loving our enemies is an example of God's love, particularly an example of God's love in action. If God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, if he provides food and supply for the unjust, he doesn't do it so they can continue being unjust and wicked. He does it because he is good and he desires to show his saving love to all who will receive. And like I said, Jesus is our example and loving our enemies is us living out Christ's example. He loved his enemies more than anyone in history. So much so that all humanity was in rebellion against God and alienated from God, right? Scripture tells us this, that all of us have rebelled against God. All humanity are in rebellion against God. But God shows his love by becoming one of us and sacrificing himself for all of us. And this is the way we love our enemies, selfless service on their behalf, even if they don't receive it. Loving them may cause a change in them. They may be affected by it, and God may use it to bring them to salvation. But we are called to love them even if they don't. We want to attach conditions to showing God's love in action. Well, I will love them if they get to this place, or I will love them if they do this. God loved each and every one of you sitting here, even though you were his enemy. You were God's enemy. 
Cindy, you may be the, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Always greeting me with a smile and a hug, but you were at once God's enemy. Right? Barb, you're always nice hugging me, asking about Isaac. Jane's always leaving me cards. Wonderful. You're all friendly. Every, every, people who come and visit here always remark to me about how friendly this church is. And I love that. But the friendliest of you, you have to understand that you were God's enemy. Imagine if God said, I'm going to withhold my saving grace from you unless you do this. You wouldn't be sitting here. St. Paul reminds us, and probably one of my favorite few verses in his, all of his epistles, he says this in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So to conclude, brothers and sisters, St. Theophilact once wrote, to love some, that is, one's own friends, and to hate others is imperfection. Perfection, to be perfect, is to love everyone. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who when we were enemies of God, loved us and gave his life for us, be all glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash save Zion Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.